So I figured I should preach today because it's been a few weeks and you're probably wondering, do I still work here? You know, and yes, barely. And uh, so I'm, I'm just grateful for Matt and Joel and Becky who preached the word so good the last few weeks. Thankful for them. I got a little break, so I got to set my mind to the fall and, and work on the new series and do some things like that. So pretty cool. But I'm excited that I get to preach today because we're in this series called Called to Action. And today I want to preach about something that is very, very near to my heart. And it's this thing called repentance. And repentance is a great action to take, right? And so we're going to be looking at a man that I love in Scripture. If you know me, you know that every day in the last seven or eight years, minus just a couple days where I was sick or whatever, I've posted a psalm on social media. Many of you are my friends. And if you want to get those psalms on social media... uh, just be my friend. Will you please be my friend? I need some friends. And, and oftentimes those psalms that are a result of what I read for the day, oftentimes they hit people uh, with what they need for the day. And it's funny how God does that, right? And so if you want to get those, I've been posting those for seven or eight years. And we know that David wrote the psalms, right? And when you think about David, if you're like me, uh, there's a lot of things you know about David. Number one, he was anointed as king as a boy. Samuel anointed him as king. That's pretty remarkable. Picked out of his brothers. And then another story, of course, we all know. uh, Only a boy named David, right? Who took the stone and killed Goliath and then chopped off his head. It's a great story. Love that story. Um, Then David was a part of a group of men called the Mighty Men. David and his Mighty Men. And they won some incredible battles against all odds. And these were warriors. These were amazing warriors that won some great battles. But today I want to talk about Probably, in my opinion, the greatest victory that David ever won. And that was the victory over his own heart. Because how many of you know that it's hard to have victory over your own heart? The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it, right? And so when a man has a victory over his heart, that's a big deal. And that's what God loves about people and particularly about David. God loved David in a special way, and here's why. God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then he says, he will do everything I want him to. So God loved that David had a desire to obey him. And David didn't always obey him, and we're going to learn about that this morning. And it's one thing to obey God when life is great, isn't it? Life's going good, blessings are flowing, That's one thing, but what really defines us, I believe, as followers of Christ is when we choose to obey when we're caught in sin or we're caught in failure. And we come to that place where we can resist or we can repent. And that's what we want to talk about today. When we're confronted with our sin, we're confronted with our bad attitudes, maybe we're confronted with how we've treated our wife this week or how we've treated our husband this week. Or students here today, how you've treated your parents this week. When we're confronted with our sins and our attitudes, that we would be quick to run to God. That we would be quick to come to Him, to confess and to repent. Jesus said, to love me is to obey me. And so Jesus interprets our obedience as love. So if you really want to love Jesus beyond worshiping Him on a Sunday morning, learn to be somebody that obeys him. And when you're not obeying him, learn to be somebody that repents quickly from that disobedience because Jesus loves that. So how we respond when we're caught in failure, when we're caught in sin, or, or even just caught 
in bad character, character that's not lining up with the fruit of the Spirit. You know, David had at least one of those times, and that's the one Bible story my mama didn't read me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to read it to you this morning. If you have children in the room, I'm going to keep it G-rated, so no worries. But just know when you get home, you might have some splaining to do, okay? There you go. So 2 Samuel 11, there's where we are this morning. If you brought your Bible, open up 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. It's an epic tale. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's a key line of this story. You know, King David got in trouble because he was not where he was supposed to be. If you read the scripture, it says in the spring of the year, when the normal thing for kings to do is to go out to war, David didn't go. He stayed behind. He was supposed to be out leading and conquering and protecting and pushing back the enemies that were always encroaching on on the uh, Jews' uh, lines, on their cities, on their people. But instead, David stayed behind. He sent his army out to fight. He stayed behind in comfort and boredom. How many of you know that is a bad combination? Comfort and boredom. So a word to us men this morning. A word to us husbands, a word to us fathers, if you fit in those categories. When we stop fighting for our marriage, when we get too comfortable, when we become bored, when we stop battling for our children, when we, when we give away the responsibility that we have to raise them up. And I, and I say, yes, us men, to raise them up in the ways of the Lord, to read Scripture with them, to pray with them as you tuck them into bed at night to spend time with them, to give the best of yourself, to raise them and love them. When you give that up, when you fall back from the battle, you lose your passion for your people. And that's what happened to David. That's what happens to us men. When we fall back from the battle, we lose our passion for our people, our people being our family, our people being our children, our people being our grandchildren. So we need to stay engaged in the battle. When we lose our passion for our people, we find ourselves in a place of lazy compromise. And that's exactly where sin happens, in a place of lazy compromise. Let's read on. Verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told... She is Bathsheba. Now, there's no relationship between taking a bath and being named Bathsheba. I just want you to know that's just a weird coincidence. (laughs) She was the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. That used to confuse me. I thought, what's wrong with sleeping? You know, but I just want to say there's the G rating for your parents. Okay? So you got some explaining to do, right? So let's look at this story. David knew Bathsheba was the wife of one of his most trusted men, Uriah, a man that he had fought next to in the army of mighty men, 30 men against all odds, winning these great conquests. And this man, Uriah, is at the moment out on the battlefield protecting David. Now get this. Protecting David, protecting the kingdom while David's at home 
in comfort and boredom. And it's in that moment that David chooses selfishness. That's really what happens. Come on, let's be honest. Sin is selfishness, right? So David chooses selfishness, and that's what sin is. And Bathsheba gets pregnant, and she sends word to David. David, I'm pregnant. So David did what most men do when they're busted. They know they're in trouble. He planned a cover-up. And that's what most men do. I'm just being honest. I have done it. You've probably done it. That's one of the things that men often do. And so David sends word to Joab, his general, out on the battlefront. And he says, send Uriah home. And so he sends Uriah home. And David says to him, why don't you go spend some time with your wife? Now, how many of you know what David's really wanting to do here? He's wanting the assumption to be that Uriah was home with his wife. And so when this child comes in several months... You know, the blame won't be cast on David, but the, you know, uh, Uriah will be responsible for this child. And you thought Netflix was exciting, right? I mean, the Bible is full of these great stories. But Uriah, because he's so loyal to his military brothers, refuses to go home. David didn't see that coming. So Uriah camps out on the palace steps with the palace guard, loyal to king and kingdom. And here's what Uriah says. He says, the ark... And the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. So plan A fails for David. But David's pretty smart, so he comes up with plan B. He invites Uriah over for dinner and gets him drunk. And then he tries to send him home again to sleep with his wife. But Uriah again refuses, and he spends the night guarding the palace and guarding his king. So David takes it up a notch. You know, when you get desperate because you've been caught and your life's starting to unravel, you take it up a notch, don't you? You'll do even worse things to cover up your sin. And he sends Uriah back to the battle with a letter to General Joab, telling Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back your troops so that he will be killed. And so Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israel soldiers. Now, that's a pretty big betrayal, isn't it? from David. And let's look at this for a second. Get this. Let's just let's just take a look at how big a betrayal this is. Uriah carries his own death warrant to the general that he trusts from the king whom he protects. And David's plan works and Uriah is killed. But not only Uriah, a bunch of soldiers on the front lines who did nothing to deserve this. They were innocent of anything as Uriah was. They get killed as well. And I just want to pause for a moment and say to us here today, I just want to remind you, as I remind myself, that sin always brings collateral damage. It always does. It's the innocent that get damaged by sin. It's people that weren't even close to the situation that get damaged by sin, as well as people that were close. And you may think that you're sinning in private, secretly, but I want to tell you that, that we, we never sin 
on our own. We never sin by ourselves. You can't compartmentalize sin and then expect that it won't affect the people that you love. It will affect the people that we love at some point, even if it's the fact that you're not as emotionally available or spiritually available because of this sin. You cannot compartmentalize sin. It will always damage relationships. So Uriah's wife hears that her husband is dead, and she mourned for him. My take on this is that Bathsheba just was being obedient to the king's command that she come to the palace. My guess is she probably didn't want to have an affair and didn't want to commit adultery on her husband. But you, you, you go when the king summons you. And so she went. And she gave birth to a son. Well, when the period of mourning was over, Dave sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You think? I think God might have been a little displeased by that. So God sends Nathan the prophet to David to confront him. How many of you know when the prophet gets sent to your door, it's not usually good news? Right? So David sees Nathan coming, and he hears that Nathan's there. And he probably thinks to himself, okay, I'm I'm just going to put on a good front here, right? And so Nathan tells David a story of a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man had many sheep and many cattle, and the poor man only had one little lamb. And it was like a member of the family to this guy. This little lamb ate from his plate and drank from his cup, and this, this poor man would carry this little lamb around in his arms like one of his daughters. And he had only one, and it was very, very, very precious to him. So one day a guest arrives at, at this rich man's house, and the rich man, instead of taking one of his own many sheep or one of his own many cattle, takes this little lamb from the poor man and kills it and serves it to his guest in his house. And the Bible says that when David heard this story... He was furious. He was, you know, self-righteous. How dare this rich man do this? And he said, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to this poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan gets, you know, the sword in the gut here, this statement. Nathan says to David, you are that man. You are that man. And Nathan goes on to tell David all the consequences that are going to happen to him because of stealing Bathsheba, the the one little lamb. David had many wives, probably many concubines. And Uriah had this one little lamb, this woman that he loved with all his heart. And Nathan goes on to tell David the consequences that are going to happen to him because he stole Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. And so then David is left at this moment of what do I do? What do I do in this moment where I've clearly been caught in my sin? And many people choose to resist or they choose to run when God confronts us with our sin. But David chooses to confess. And he confesses to Nathan, the prophet, in that moment. And he simply says, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. David, when he was confronted with his sin, and I think this is something that God also loved about David, he was quick to confess. But I want you to know that his confession doesn't get him out of trouble. His confession opens the way for God to forgive him, but he still has consequences of his sin. 
So our confession and our repentance doesn't mean that, that the consequences of what we've done gets wiped away. Oftentimes there are severe consequences to our sin. And Nathan responds with one more consequence. He says, the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. There will be consequences, David, for the choices that you made. Other people will be hurt by your sin. And notice here how David responded. David responded to the Lord with brokenness. And I believe that's what God loves about us. When we're confronted with our sin, you know, even when it's a nominal thing, more like a bad attitude or, or something like you know, being frustrated with your spouse or your kids or, or just using a harsh tone, maybe those are more nominal things, right? They're not like having an, an adulterous affair and murdering the husband of the person that you had the affair with. And yet, and yet God wants our heart to be the same in those moments when we're confronted with our sin, and God wants us to respond with a broken heart, broken over the fact that we're still far away from His character, that we still still have so far to go. I'm, I'm like that. I still have a long ways to go. I'm still really surprised at what can come out of me sometimes when I get frustrated or angry or judgmental, you know? And so there's still a long way to go. God is still working on each of our hearts And there are consequences to our sins. There's hurt that comes to people's lives. And for David, the hurt that was going to come to him and to his wife was that this child would die. And David's response, even to that, was this. David went to the tabernacle and he worshipped the Lord. And worship in that day was prostrate before the Lord. Prostrate before the Lord worshiping with all his heart, broken in his heart, broken in his spirit, even in his time of great loss, he worshiped God. And and I believe God loved that about David. He loved his heart of worship, even in the midst of struggle. And that's what the Psalms are about. If you read the Psalms, they are about a man who struggles deeply with life, being chased down by the king that he loves and serves, his life being at risk several times at the hand of Saul, and yet he worships the Lord throughout the whole book of Psalms. I believe that it might have been this very day when David was prostrate before the Lord that he wrote Psalm 51 out of that brokenness of his heart. We don't know for sure, but I think it's a good chance that he wrote Psalm 51, the Psalm of Repentance. And Psalm 51 gives us such a great model of repentance in our life. And so I want to give it to you today and and give you something to take home as you think about repentance and the beauty of repentance in our life and the gift of repentance to us. Living a life of repentance is so important. And so when I say that, what that means is every day of our life, we are open to repent when we find that we have fallen short of the glory of God, when we have fallen short of God's character in our life, when somehow we have, you know, not been long-suffering or we've been impatient or or we've not been kind, or we've not been merciful, or we've not been forgiving. There are times, I think, in our everyday that that call for repentance. And so that repentance is a lifestyle. It's a turning away from something that is not glorifying to Christ and moving in a direction that is glorifying to Christ. You know, His character in our lives rather than our own selfish nature, right? So repent from simply not being Christ-like. And repentance moves us toward God and His character and away from sin 
and our own human nature. So in order to move toward God, in order to repent from our sin, in order to not hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden, we need to know that that God is going to give us what we need when we come to him. And that's why David writes the first couple of verses of Psalm 51. He recognizes God's goodness. And so for us, if we're going to repent, if we're going to confess our sin, we need to know we're moving toward a good, good God. Amen? We need to know that. So Psalm 51 starts like this. When we're in our moment of sin or of failure, of having fallen away from the God who loves us, here's, here's where we begin. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. So I want to say, number one in your notes today, is that I recognize my rebellion. That's the first step. And I confess my sin. You know, I believe that even though David fell to his own human nature, he fell to his selfishness, he failed miserably in his life. It ended up in adultery and it ended up in murder. I do believe that David did care about what God felt about his sin. And that's why he repented so quickly. Though he had sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and his people and his God, he recognized ultimately that his rebellion was against God. His rebellion was against God. And he says to God, he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So just an observation for you today. And and I say this about myself as well. Okay, I'm no different than any other human being. We seem not to care so much today about the choices in our lifestyle and how they impact God. And we might care about how they impact us or about our family, but we seem to not care as much about the impact God. And I, and I think that we need to bring that back to our walk with Christ. We need to care deeply about how our choices affect God. I think my observation today is that people care a lot more about what we can get away with and be saved and yet still keep our foot in the world and how we can live as close to the world as possible while still having eternal life while still being saved. I think that's a problem that we have today in our church. And one of the things that helps us is that when we recognize our rebellion brings loss to our lives, that there's something that's not as good as it could be between us and God because we're living with one foot in the world. We can't possibly have the close relationship, the intimacy that God wants us to have when there's something between us and Him. Now, on God's part, He's totally ready to forgive. He's ready to reconcile. He's ready to restore. But on our part, when we live our life in unrepentance and stay in rebellion, we're not able to have the intimacy with God that we long to have. And so it blocks us. There's there's an extreme loss from this. And this rebellion brings regret into our life. Eventually, we we will hit regret in our life for the rebellion that we have. And that's number two in our notes. And that is that I regret what I've lost through my sin. I regret what I've lost through my rebellion. Look at what David lost here. He spends several verses talking about what he lost through his sin. He says, oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. What did David lose? He lost his joy. He lost his joy because of his rebellion. 
Then he says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. What did he lose? He lost his purity. And he lost his loyalty. He betrayed one of his closest warriors. One of the guys he had fought shoulder to shoulder with. Somebody that he trusted and who trusted him. He lost his loyalty. What a huge loss for a king. And then he says, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He lost the confidence of of what it means to live under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, back in those days, it was just the prophets and the kings usually that received an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Today, anyone who receives Christ receives the Holy Spirit. But back then, God would take the Holy Spirit from somebody if they were in sin. And so David loses his confidence as an anointed king. And so he begs the Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you again. David realized that he had lost the beauty of obedience, the, the thing that God treasured about David. David had sacrificed for this moment of pleasure with a woman when he had dozens of women who were also incredibly beautiful. He sacrificed this for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And he realized what he had lost. And then David ends with this, and I love it because it speaks of redemption, right? It speaks of restoration. David says, Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. I want to pause for just a moment, and I want to talk about the blessing of regret. Now, usually when we think about regret, we think about things that we did badly and and things, you know, that we have lost and regret in our life. But I want to talk about the blessing of regret, the beauty of regret, and how when we fail, when we fall, when we sin, how it's regret that keeps us from wanting to do that again. It's what we see that we've lost that keeps us from wanting to go down that road again. Regret is our friend if we will allow it to be. For many of us, regret brings shame, and so we don't like regret. But regret, when recognized well, is a friend that will keep us from going down that same road again. It's regret. Our rebellion brings loss in our lives, loss of a close, intimate relationship with God. And so number two in your notes is this. I regret what I've lost through my sin. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. You know, I have regrets in my life. I have things that I've done and that I've said that I'm not proud of and that I wish I hadn't done because of the pain that they've caused. But at the same time, those regrets help me to never want to offend in those same ways again. You know, I remember it was about 28 years ago that my wife and I started counseling because she dragged me there. Started counseling for our marriage. I had had an emotional affair, which means no sex just too much friendship and too much vulnerability with another person. And so I'd had that happen in my life, made those choices. And we wound up in counseling. 28 years ago, I can remember like it was yesterday, sitting in the counseling room as my wife shared with me and a man that I respected deeply in our community, shared the depth of betrayal that she felt and shared the pain that she felt from the choices I'd made. 
And out of her came these wails, these, these deep, racking sobs that I will never forget. And I hated every minute of it in the moment. And I felt so exposed and so ashamed. But I can tell you today that it's the memory of that pain that makes me never, ever want to offend that way again. To never, ever put her through that kind of pain again. Or the people, the other people in my life, the soldiers of my life that went through the pain of that as well. The, the collateral damage that happened in my life. And so I want to tell you today that regret is your friend. Remember your regret. Remember your losses. Don't get sucked into shame. But remember regret and how it can, it can play an important part in you not going down the same roads of sin over and over and over again. Because you realize the losses that come. And it's that kind of regret and it's that kind of repentance that opens you up for forgiveness. And that's number three in your notes today. That I receive, Lord, your forgiveness through repentance. David wrote it like this. He said, Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not, you do not want burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And so you see that what David is saying, that that God's forgiveness comes through this avenue of repentance. And God is always ready and willing to forgive whenever we're ready to repent, whenever we're ready to acknowledge and confess our sin. God loves, God loves a heart that's broken over sin. God does not want you to stay trapped and, you know, in the bondage and prison of shame and guilt. God wants that to motivate you to move toward Him so that He can give you what you really need, and that is forgiveness. So restoration of our lives, being cleansed and feeling cleansed before the Lord happens through repentance because repentance creates space for forgiveness. It takes us to number four today. I repent of my rebellion and my sin. I repent of my rebellion and my sin. So what is repentance? Repentance is the act of turning away from the part of me, the selfish nature of me that does not bring glory to Christ. Again, it can be as small as attitudes. It can be as small but powerful as hurtful words. It can be judgment. It can be gossip. It can be whatever it is that does not glorify Christ. Repentance is turning away from that. When I see that I have failed in that area and moving toward the character of Christ. Love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Moving toward the character of Christ in my life. That is what repentance is meant to be. It's an act of turning away from our bad attitudes or our lifestyles that we've embraced because the world somehow said it was okay. Or even a church or a counselor said it was okay. But if God's word doesn't say it's okay, then it's not okay. And so we stick to God's word. And this repentance is motivated by a broken heart. It's motivated by that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. As we're called home to a loving and merciful God who wants to forgive us and wants to reinstate us. Now here's the thing about repentance. And this is a warning for you today. And this has happened in my life. If you understand an area of your life that you're in rebellion or you're in sin and you choose to not change and you're a a child of, of God, 
God will allow your life to unravel. God will allow you to experience pain in your life because He loves you, not because He hates you, because He loves you and He knows the best place for you to be is in relationship with Him without sin in your life. God knows there's a better for you. And He has done this with me. Allowed my life to unravel to the place where I said, okay, I tap out. I tap out. I want your best for me, Lord. I'm not going to go down this road. The walls will close in. Psalm 712 says, If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and he will string his bow. And our understanding of that scripture is not that God will kill you, not that God wants to kill you, but that he will wound you. You know, scripture says that the wounds of a friend are better than the... uh, No, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And so God being your friend will wound you in order for you to come to repentance. And so when you find your life unraveling and you find your life, you know, you're experiencing pain and you're like, "Why why am I having this pain? Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just living under the curse. But sometimes it might be, if you know you're being rebellious, it might be God allowing you to unravel. So pay attention to that and be quick to repent when God allows that in your life. Uh, I don't think God's out to get us. And and personally, I believe the world has enough pain. I don't think God has to add anything to it. But, you know, there again, you never know what God's going to do, right? So he might do that if he wants you back in intimate relationship with him. He may allow your, your life to unravel. And that brings us to number five today. My repentance results in God's redemption. God has a purpose behind all this. God wants to use us for His glory. God wants us to partner in the good things that He's planned for us to do uh, from the foundations of the world. God has plans for us. And our rebellion gets in the way of those plans. I love our church. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love our church is because we're honest. Uh, We are honest about our sin. We're honest about our rebellion. And we're honest about uh, God, you know, forgiving us and restoring us. Like, I know several guys in our church that have repented of pornography and how God is using them now to speak into the lives of other people who struggle with this. I know guys, I know couples, I know women who have had affairs, who have had adultery in their lives. And God, through their repentance, has brought them back. And now they're helping others to face those times in their life and how to get through those times in their life. I know many, like I could drop names, which I won't. It's confidential, right? I've had people in my office where one of them is drinking way too much. And so the other spouse says, I would like them to stop. And, and you know, they need to stop. And so we've had that conversation. And I've had that spouse say, okay. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do what it, what it takes because this is impacting my spouse in a negative way. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that road of treatment and recovery. I've had multiple people do that in our church and say, I'm, I'm moving toward a different way because this has been damaging and hurtful in the lives of the people I love and not glorifying to my Savior. And so I love our church. Here's another one. I love this one. Tim and Stephanie Borsma. I don't know if you know Tim and Steph, but years ago, Tim came forward and publicly, well, first to our pastor, Kim, and then publicly made a video and talked about his betrayal of his wife. And if you would put the slide up of Reclaimed, 
Tim talked about the, repla- uh, the betrayal of his wife and the places that had led them. And he came clean. He came clean to, to Pastor Kim and he came clean to many of us. And his repentance is what opened the door to God's forgiveness of him, but also to Stephanie's forgiveness of him. And I'll tell you, this was a long process, like seven or eight years God has worked to restore their marriage. And now God is redeeming their marriage. And let me tell you what I mean by that, because I believe God wants to do that for everybody. God wants to redeem what, what the enemy meant for evil. God wants to make good come out of it. And so for Tim and Stephanie, they've now launched this new ministry. They just launched it on Wednesday. It's called Reclaimed. Stephanie's been doing it here at our church for a couple of years. Now she's written a book. This is kind of a, a look of that. It's a 30-day devotional that takes women through the pain of betrayal. And this is launching nationwide. So Stephanie's in Nashville right now, and but she's been in our community. She's been in Sunlight Faith Community, our church, with small groups of women who are working through the pain of betrayal. And I, I tell you that to tell you that God can redeem the very worst kind of pain in our lives if we will repent. And if we will invite his forgiveness, invite his restoration. Now, for Stephanie, it meant she probably had to repent of not wanting to forgive, Right? Obviously, it'd be painful, but God worked in her to bring about this forgiveness that needed to happen in her relationship for it to be restored. And it's just a beautiful thing when you see God use even the pain and garbage of your life to now bring to other people's lives what they need, giving them the comfort that you've received as you walk with them through restoration and into redemption. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences in your life. There will be, and they'll be hard when you've had sin and failure. And it was true for David. David experienced some huge losses in his life. One was his son, of course, but another one was when David wanted to build the temple because he loved to worship and he loved the temple. And he said, God, I want to build your temple. And God said, no, I can't let you build the temple. You have blood on your hands. I can't let my holy place, even though I've forgiven you, I can't let my holy place be built by a man who has blood, who's murdered, even his close, one of his closest friends. But God said, I will let your son build it. I will let Solomon build it. And here's where you see the redemption of God. Because God allows the very relationship that began in adultery and resulted in murder. Think about this. God allowed this relationship to be restored and redeemed and now out of this relationship david had dozens of other women who could have given him a son that would continue the line of kings and continue the line of christ but god chose to redeem david's relationship with bathsheba i find that remarkable i don't know about you i mean it seems to me like god would say you're done right but that's not what god did he redeemed them and brings forth solomon who builds the temple that God is housed in until Christ comes and brings Christ through that line. Remarkable, remarkable. And that's the mercy, the grace, the redemption. That's the kind of God you run to when you have failed or fallen in your life. Merciful Savior. Amen? Merciful Savior. So this morning I want to end by giving you an opportunity. Worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us through this song that that really talks about responding to God's love, grace, and mercy. And I believe, because you're all human like me, that every one of us has something in our life this morning, even at this moment, 
that we can repent from in our hearts. Bad attitude, judgment, unforgiveness, you know, speaking unkindly to your wife or your husband or your kids, kids with your parents. I mean, come on. There's something, a pattern of our life that we want to repent from in our hearts. And and then I'm going to set you free this morning to go and, and walk out that repentance this week. But in our hearts this morning, I'm going to ask you to identify something in your life um, that goes against the character of God. And in this moment, as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to isolate that and then just to say in, in your heart, Lord, I repent of this. And I'm going to choose to walk out my repentance this week. I'm going to choose to live differently. I'm going to choose to let your character invade my life and change this part of me that I have struggled with. So would you stand with me this morning? Really, take a moment. Do an inventory in your heart right now. Just one thing. It can be tiny thing. Tiny thing. God, I haven't trusted you in this area. Identify it and use this song just to bring it to the Lord this morning. Okay? Let's do that together.